All right, man, good morning. Great to see a, uh, a larger turnout than I think we had uh, last Thursday morning. Hey, um, Jerry is passing around a sign-up sheet um, to get guys to help Tom with uh, the Christmas, High Crest Christmas dinner, uh, which I think is December 11th and 12th, prepare and serve. So if you would... Oh, okay. Passing around a sign-up sheet for um, to help out Tom with Highcrest Christmas dinner, December 11th and 12th. So if you would consider maybe signing up for that to, uh, to help out. So next week is our uh, last week for the semester. This has been a, a great semester, been a success. Hopefully you guys feel like a little more successful than, than you were otherwise. So, um, you know, this week, thinking about, uh, you know, probably from the the uh, dawn of civilization, or maybe even uh, Adam, you know, you ask yourself that question, what's, what am I here for? What, what's, what is the significance of my life? You know, uh, Adam, other than, uh, you know, naming the animals and tending the garden, maybe ask that same question. So, um, you know, we, we all know the answer. It's fame and fortune, isn't it? Isn't that the, isn't that the measure of it? Uh, let me ask this. How many of you guys, and this is not a, uh, an in-depth actuarial question, but how many of you would say you're in the second half of your life? Was, okay. How about, yeah, how about the first half? How many, how many, how many young guys? Have we got? We got, yeah, <laughs> Tommy. Yeah, so so we've got we've got a few guys that are that are in the first. So you guys have got a little more time to kind of think about uh, that than those of us that are that are in the second half and don't have as much time to evaluate that. So um, so Jim and Derek are going to talk about that today, uh, a different way of looking at the uh, second half of our lives. So you guys take it away. Thank you, Paul. I'll give that to him. Appreciate that, Paul. How you doing, Derek? I'm doing good this morning. Yeah. How are you? I like that young life pullover. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They give, yeah, they give these out if you play in a golf tournament, no matter how badly you play. So, <laughs> so you won, right? Uh, <clears throat> let me think. If we won, we won like the fourth flight. You know, I love the fact <laughs> they flight these golf tournaments. I win so much money by being on the worst team or actually being the worst player. So anyway, uh, like Paul said, we end next week, November 16th. Yesterday I was piling up books. I was at the library. I've been at at places looking. You know, I'm pretty excited about next semester already. Yeah, we're going to have some good books. Yeah. Good things to go through. Read the books that we've used this first semester, but haven't read all the ones yet that we're doing next semester. So kind of pumped NFL power rankings. I was looking for good news about the Chiefs who've lost three out of their last four games, but they're still ranked in the top five despite their loss to, uh, I was going to say my Cowboys, but they're all criminals. I don't know. Anyway. That's your team, isn't it? Well, I like the Chiefs better. So anyway, I didn't, I wasn't happy that. So, and then we've got uh, the K, you know, the flip, uh, the uh, basketball season starting. I get to take my sons up to the Champions Classic next week. We usually do that in uh, November. And we get to, let's see, we got spanked by 43 points when we last played Kentucky three years ago in this thing. And, uh, the worst, one of the worst moments of my sports career was waking up in the hotel the next morning, going down with my sons, being surrounded by Kentucky fans who were so syrupy sweet. Oh, you guys will be, do just fine this year. Oh, yeah. Oh, no, you really have a good team. 
you know. Hey, it's better than other things they could have said to you. Oh, <laughs> nauseating. They Maybe. Were, they were all Christians, and they were all too sweet. <laughs> so gross. Anyway, I, bl- I like blood in the water. So anyway, uh, last week, you know, Derek, we talked about from the book Drive, and we ended up with purpose, this yearning to serve something bigger than ourselves, which is why we picked this book for this week. Sure. This is all about, you know. What your life is about. Yeah, What's, what, what is that purpose? Yeah. This book actually had a real impact on my life about 10 years ago. Not that I was at halftime even 10 years ago, but I sort of felt that way. I knew that I was going to be talking. I'm talking with the elders about transition. And uh, so I got this book, which I heard was life-changing, and I went up into the mountains in Colorado for a week, and uh, with this book and with my uh, computer notebook and prayer and so forth, I worked my way through this book and made a number of decisions about the rest of my life, which uh, I've tried to been trying to put into practice. It's really because the subtitle of this book is "Moving from Success to Significance," and I was asking the question in my life how. How can the rest of my life be significant? So this is a, a book with a lot of personal. And, and I think a number of you have read, how many of you have read this book before? Yeah, yeah. And it's, I'm sure, had an impact on you as well. Uh, and it gets a lot of raves. Rick Warren said, said, this book will show you how to make the rest of your life the best of your life. <clears throat> I want every man in my congregation to read this inspiring story. Buford himself says about his book, whatever success you are having will never completely fulfill you. A life of significance of really mattering is yours for the taking, and the process I describe in this book will work for you. And I think he really believes that. Let's talk about Buford's own life. I appreciate you handing out this biography and summary. But I mean, his dad died when he was young. Dad died. His mom... Yeah, she started this company, mm-hmm. uh, TV, cable TV, radio, stuff like that. East yeah. Coast, I think it was in Carolinas or something mainly. But and Then he came to then run it, right? Cause she because she suddenly died, right? Because of her death. Yeah, yeah. He, was, he was like 30, 31. He had one kid yeah. and who also died when he was 20, 24. Yeah, His son was 24 or something. He died when he was like, wasn't it drowning? Something like that. So, but this happened, I think, when he was in his early 40s, and he'd turned the company. He was a multimillionaire by this time, cable company. And so he's thinking, uh, you know, I'm not fully satisfied in life. And he asked the question, how was it that I could be so successful, so fortunate, yet so frustratingly unfulfilled? And then his son, his only child, dies. So the, the, unlike the, a lot of the other books, or maybe all of the other books we've read, which are you know brilliant people like uh, Patrick Lencioni or others doing surveys and coming up with brilliant stuff, this is really the story. It's an easy read. It's the story of this guy's life and sort of the lessons that, that ambushed him. Yeah, this is probably of all the books that we've read so far, this is definitely the most personal yeah, because we see glimpses into his life, and it's not necessarily from a business perspective. Although business is in there, it's not just from family perspective. Though family is in there, but it's it's from this guy's heart, from his experiences, to, and then looking back on life and seeing, okay, how how did I do this life? 
and then I've got some time left. So how do I make this really significant? So he hires this consultant who had been, well, actually, he, he quotes in the book George Bernard Shaw at this point, there are two sources of unhappiness in life. One is not getting what you want. The other is getting it. So he says, you know, you may reach your midpoint and realize you've gotten the success you wanted and you're unhappy. So he hires this uh, consultant, this management consultant, Mike Kami, who's who'd been the number one, uh, the leading uh, strategy consultant for IBM and so forth, uh, an atheist, but, but he really admired him. And he asks Buford this question, what's in your box? And Buford goes, what are you talking about? Mm-hmm. And this is the part where Buford thinks about it for a little bit and then eventually says, or he thinks that God is in his top box. Yeah, right? <laughs> he's not sure. The way he describes it is he says, he says, Kami says, if I'm going to advise you for the rest of your life, you know, Kami says, uh, I've been listening to you after this is after like what you're saying. I, I've been listening to you for a couple hours, and for you, I can tell it's either money or Jesus Christ. If you can tell me which one of those it is, I can tell you the strategic planning implications of that choice. No one had ever put such a question to me so directly. After a few minutes, which seemed like hours, I said, well... <laughs> if it has to be one or the other, I'll put Jesus Christ in the box. I thought that was funny. So then uh, <clears throat> he parlays this, his experience, into advising us. And so he says, instead of facing a crisis as I approached middle age, I discovered a new and better life lay before me. I called this process halftime. The outcome laid, led to my second half. And uh, our first half, he concludes, uh, is about how to make a living. Second half has the promise of being about how to make life. One of the things I thought was interesting as we're, as we're going through this and we think about halftime and we think about where Buford was when he started thinking about this and got the box question and, and those types of things is how important it was for him to pause and even ask that question, yes. to, to take a time out from the busyness, from the success, from the hundred other thousand things that are going on in life to say, let's evaluate where we're at right now. And let's think about where I want to be. Where am I going? What do I want my life to be about? Because if he hadn't taken that pause, if he hadn't have taken the time to stop everything, and ask that question, he probably wouldn't have written this book or come up with, you know, discovered any of these concepts. And he quotes Socrates in the book, <clears throat> you know, the, the famous saying, the unexamined life is not worth living. Yeah. So uh, you, you'll find in this book, this book's sort of difficult for us to teach because it's sort of a story, uh, but we're going to share with you some of really our favorite quotes and as you could tell, uh, if you read, if you, even if you skimmed the sheet, the summary sheet, really good summary sheet on this book, uh, this, this is all about the desire that's inside each of us, he says, to move from success to significance, to move from this quest for success in the first half of our lives into this journey to significance. And he says it in a number of ways in this book. He says the first half of your life was all about success. The second half of your life should be about significance. Success means using your knowledge and experience to satisfy yourself. Significance is using it to change the lives of others. 
And the second half, he says, is far more risky, actually. The first half of life is about getting and gaining, learning and earning. The second half is risky because, you know, it's hard to figure out exactly how to live in such a way that you feel that you have significance. And it's risky because he says you have to find that seed of creativity inside you so that you can be fruitful. Figure out what, what gifts do you have and how do you serve others with them and get the joy that results. He, uh, he, he quoted something in the book that is, it's not a pop, you know, people don't quote this out of the book, but this, this really hit me uh, when I read this. Peter Drucker, who is a close friend of his, Peter Drucker, maybe the best, uh, how would you describe Drucker? He's like the number one business guru. Yeah. Of the Written a lot century. of business books and yeah. studies and all kinds of stuff. Peter Drucker told me that retirees have not proved to be the fertile source of volunteer effort we once thought they would be. They cut their engines off and lose their edge. Peter believed that if you do not have a second or parallel career in service by age 45, and if you're not vigorously involved in it by age 55, it will never happen. Wow. That was interesting. Yeah, that is interesting. And I don't remember which of the books it was um, that I took or read during my master's courses, but it had to do with different generational things, yeah. um, different things that people are dealing with now. And now a big thing that people are trying to figure out is what do you do after retirement? What do you do after the, you know, typical kind of standardized 65 years of age when you still have probably about 25 or 30 years left of your life? And you're, you can only, you know, watch Netflix and hang out for so long. And I think that's what he's getting at is you've got to have something that continues to drive you. And at that point, it's probably not... You know, making a ton of money or doing any of those things. It might be. That might be part of that drive. But what are you doing in that part of life? How are you going to set yourself up well so that you know, um, at least have a direction of what that part of your life is going to look like? So one of the tough, the hardest question for him and for us is how do I reposition or repot myself to find my place of significance? And his answer, he talks about... Uh, he talks about down below the surface of the earth. It's like figuring out what's unbelievable. You know, so he says you need to do some seismic testing. And he has three things that you need to do. Number one, you, know, you need to know who you are. Take stock. You ask yourself, what's in my box? What's my main thing? What's my passion? How am I wired? Where do I belong? What gifts has God, have God given me? He quotes Soren Kierkegaard, that is, I need to find the idea for which I can live and die for the rest of my life. And I couldn't help thinking of the movie. <laughs> Remember the movie uh, City Slickers where Curly goes, just one thing? He I can't quote the whole sentence in church, but anyway. <laughs> so he goes, what's the one thing in your box? What is really your passion? So you have to know who you are. And then he says, second, seek out reliable counsel. Seismic testing, he says, often reveals a vague and indistinct picture to you. So go to six or eight people you trust. Ask them how they see it. Their sonar will outline part of the picture you couldn't see. And then he says, do some low-cost probes. Try out some options. Test the waters. Get some hands-on experience in using your gifts. Imagine around your tables today as you share. Some of you have done this. Some of you have tried out some things. 
Um, you know, there, was a, there was a couple who'd, uh, in our church who'd hit their young 40s, wanted significance. He'd made several million here in town as, well, I won't say what his, what his job was, but really wealthy. And he said, you know, send us overseas. And I found I talked to some missions and twisted their arms to, to get them to allow this couple to go over to West Africa for a year. And <laughs> they put down that probe, and that did not work. And so uh, you know, came back, and they tried something different, and they're, they're happier. So. so you just try different things. Or he, he, in short, he then summarizes it later by just saying, Ask yourself two questions. On competency, what is it what are your, what that you're really good at? And on passion, what are you most passionate about? Then blend those two and ask, is this what God really wishes me to do? Is this my legacy? If the answer is yes, go and do it. That's such an, an important thing and a basic thing and probably one that's not new information for any of us, but one that we continually think about. And so for, for us... Are we asking these questions? You know, what, what are my skills? What am I good at? What am I naturally good at? Or what have I become really good at? And then combining that with, what do I just love? What do I enjoy? What, uh, what can I do with my life that I couldn't imagine my life without it? And then that third question is, no, is this what God wants for me? Is this what God has for me to do? And it'd be nice if God had a little sticky note or sent you an email and said, Derek, this is exactly what I want you to do, and it makes some of those things a lot easier. But we don't have that luxury. So then it comes down to you know, asking the question, is this thing that I'm really good at, is this thing that I love, can this be something that glorifies God? Can I honor God completely with this? And most of the time, the answer is going to be Yes whether it's cars or whether it's insurance or whether it's teaching or whether it's preaching, whatever, woodworking, whatever the thing happens to be for you, oftentimes we can honor God in all of those situations. And then it comes down to a decision of, okay, is this going to be wise for me? Is this wise for my family? Is this going to be helpful for other people around me? And I know to some extent we're speaking to the choir here because as I look around this room at, at many of the tables, I see at least one guy in the second half of his life who I admire because he is taking the skill and the success that he had in the first half of his life and he's actually using it to mentor people right now. Um, oh, and he, I won't go over these, but he and Peter Drucker were buds and Peter Drucker had 10 life principles and, and he quotes... Drucker's 10, and the truth is <laughs> either he borrowed a lot from Drucker or Drucker borrowed a lot from him. You know, find out who you are, reposition yourself for fulfillment, blah, blah, blah. So, so some final thoughts and quotes from the books that, yeah. that you and I really liked. Um, <clears throat> one is, odds are you'll live a whole adult lifetime that wasn't available to your parents and grandparents. Their life expectancy at birth was 50 years. We have two lifetimes now. Life one's what occurs before. Life two comes afterwards kind of what you yeah. said. Uh, here's one thing, yeah. you know, you'd mentioned to me, this whole idea of social capital. Uh, you want to you yeah. share what, Eco- re- read this and share what you're It says, thinking. economic capital is the money and time for leisure that you earn by working. For the most part, it is spent on living requirements and luxuries. Social capital is the time 
money, and knowledge that is available to reinvest or spend in the community that nurtures you. And so basically what he's saying is this economic capital is a lot of it is for you. So the things that you're doing, the money that you're making, the time that you have is all spent on you. Whereas this social capital idea is this money that you're making, this time that you have, the talents that you have, how are you using those to build up those communities that are around you? So whether it's the community that you live in, your church community, your friend community, your work community, those other people who are outside of you, and it's not all just for yourself. And the aspect of this that hit me, Derek, is that economic capital, he said, is often a solo sort of a life, whereas social capital is a group life that you can often earn money and everything, and it's all solo. But the social, so, so this affected me. I'm in the forest, and I'm thinking, Jim, you've pretty much been a solo guy. You know, you hang around people. But, but um, how, how could I, I was asking my question, what kind of things can I do to, to put Bob Buford and Ken Blanchard's uh, mantra into practice here, where life change actually for people occurs over time with others in community. And one of the things he said in this book that immediately caused me to get out a pen and a piece of paper was be a good friend to 10 people. So you can be a friend to a lot of people, but are you really a good friend to 10? And, I, and as I thought about it, I could only list eight people that I could say, you know, I was, I was a really good friend to. And so, uh, you know, that affected me. And, uh, and, and his point was, surround yourself with people that you're ministering to so that you can give back. And yeah, he says, my passion is to multiply all that God has given me, and in the process, give it back. And so he's, imagine he's thinking about Luke 8 and multiplying the talents and then being able to use that to help other people in that group mentality, that social, uh, social circles that, that we're all in. And, and he also uses the other parable about the seed and dropping into the ground and multiplying a hundredfold. He said he'd love for the epitaph on his life. Epitaph? Yeah. To be a hundred X or something. hundred X. Yeah. That's pretty cool. So next week, uh, the last book is a famous book. It's about 10 years old. It's called The Five Dysfunctions of a Team. Thanks for uh, putting stuff over there on the sure. table. Love this book. It's really clear, good practical help. And uh, some questions, some discussion starters for you. Um, number one, have you ever thought about the significance decision for yourself? How would you describe the balance between working for success and striving for significance in your life right now? Two, what's in your box? What's the main thing for you? Three, if you could live the perfect life, what would it include? So mainly those first three questions. Yeah, I think the last thing that I would add is in this idea, something that, we, that can be easy to take away from the book is that in the first half of your life, you should work for success. And then in the second half of your life, you should work for significance. Where I would probably change that a little bit is you can work for success and significance throughout your entire life. And if you're, if you're a younger guy like Jim or... Some of you guys who aren't quite in that second half of Judge your life Tommy. yet. Yeah, waving his hand. <laughs> we saw the hand up. This can be the point where you, you take that pause, you take that time out, and just ask yourself, what am I doing of significance? How do I, 
What kind of legacy do I want to leave? What am I doing? What's in my top box? And we don't have to be necessarily in that second half of our lives to be able to ask those types of questions and be able to work for significance now because the fact is we may be in the second half of our lives and we don't know it. We don't know when our life is, is going to be over. What a good point. And that ties in with the drive, the book last week, which is need to work for purpose now as well as later. Uh, let me close this in prayer and <clears throat> hope you have a good discussion. Uh, thanks, thanks to Tom in here. Let's give Tom a hand for that amazing breakfast. Yeah. <clears throat> Lord, uh, uh, all of us in here um, wouldn't be here if we didn't want to have significance in our lives, do something that would last beyond our life, that would hang on. That's why we work hard to raise our children well. And we, and we, uh, we give back. Kind of the guys in this room try to give back. And so guide us as we think about how best to do that, how, how, the, uh, how our passions and our gifts can sort of flow out. You can use those. And I pray that the discussion we have around the table this morning will, will, uh, will be a catalyst to spark our thoughts a little bit deeper in that direction. In Jesus' name, amen.